Welcome. Now, my name is D. Ludlow. Now, before we get into this episode, go to the description, click the link and get your M&A Mastery Toolkit. This is a free download, which gives you some of the tools and resources that you need to start your M&A journey. Don't forget, go to the description, click the link. It's a free download and enjoy the episode. Inflation under, so their mandate is 2%, right? Mm. I almost think if they can get inflation under 4%, they'll pat themselves on the back and say, okay, job well done. If it stays above 4%, then we, then they really have to start breaking stuff. Do you feel, feel that we're, we're potentially entering more of like an inflationary decade, you know, with higher... Stagflationary almost, we, you can say, yeah, yeah. I think that's so, the word. So we've, obviously, yeah, so yeah. we've, so it's something that I think the first ever TCC podcast that we did... Did we talk was, about stagflation? So that's the first thing I said. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I remember, I think you, you asked me actually, um, what was my thoughts on the economy? And I was like, based on everything going on, I think we'll probably may see some stagflation. Okay. But there's a few things we talked about. I need to go back and listen to that. Yeah, I've, I've listened to it back <laughs> yeah, because yeah. It, that was like, that was like May last year. Yeah. Was that first No, one April did? last year, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, April last year probably, yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, so, but yeah, 100%, this is what, this is like what I thought was potentially could happen. You know, who knows? We just, we just, I we think, just yeah, I think like longer term is probably going to be stagflation, but in the short to medium term, it could be almost deflationary. Because yeah. like you're starting to see, like, like I said, with with oil and copper coming down, this is like that's like disinflationary forces almost yeah. at play there. Um, the low growth narrative. If inflation does come start to come down for by, uh, during the end of this year, you'll start seeing like this deflationary regime, and that's generally. If you look back and you kind of back test it uh, on markets, risk assets, deflation is generally a really really bad regime for risk assets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, who knows, right? Like you know, yeah, all yeah, we can do is exactly, look, at, knows, look at the data that we have, yeah, yeah. and then guess <laughs> but it's crazy because like you're seeing like all every single indicator that you look at pmis yeah. consumer confidence it's just everything's rolling over to the downside it's crazy and it's just crazy that the fed aren't seeing that and they're coming out at every meeting saying the economy is still strong and that just baffles my mind man yeah like even they're so optimistic and you know i think that they realize that they can say anything and people believe it so um you know even when they said that inflation was transitory you know it was quite laughable and then they said that um, they anticipate economic growth um, for the next couple of quarters and I'm just like uh, what data are you looking at like they, they, they've got access to the best data yeah, in the world 100%. Um, so Some of the best economists in the world with PhDs <laughs> yeah. you know? so I'm like I, I don't know what they're looking at and and one thing with economists um, which you know I, I love economics but economists nine times out of ten are wrong mm. actually most people are you know all we can do like you say is guesswork right we can go off certain bits of data look at different metrics and and like well this makes sense but unfortunately markets don't make sense a lot of the time so that's what you, makes us so exciting yeah right? exactly it's speculation of it all exactly we've never been in this like macro regime in a long like, macros front and center now and it's been a long bloody time since it's, since it has been and it's exciting man it's, it's fun it's fun because yeah it's bad now it's very everything is like the worst it's ever been but generally, when you go through these kind of times, it always gets brighter on the, on the other side. So I'm just looking forward to the next, you know, 2024, 2025, because I know it's going to be, we're going to come out of this and everything's going to be fine again. Always is, always will be. So moving on now to um, cycles, right? Now Bitcoin cycles. Yes. Okay. <laughs> because I feel, I've had many conversations recently with different people and I feel that um, my opinion is slightly different to other people. Um, what is your opinion out of curiosity? So I don't believe... The cycles? No, no. So I believe in the, the pre-programmed schedule. Every 210,000 blocks, the reward gets cut in half yeah, and okay. there's a halving. Yeah. 
that's done. That's set in stone till twenty one forty, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I believe in that. Okay. I don't believe in the typical Bitcoin cycle that everyone keeps following. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, and the reason why, there's many reasons why I did believe in it until this one. Mm-hmm. As have been many others. Yeah, you know, like, things are good till they're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people follow Plan B stop to flow. And I still see some people clutching straws saying, oh, it's still intact. It's not. Like, no, it's not. It's gone. You know, if it was intact, it's 135k BTC by the end of last year would have been would have been hit that's what he thought based mm-hmm. on his model mm-hmm. now the reason why i don't believe in cycles and i think that people need to be a little bit more open-minded that things changed things change and especially when institutional capital flows into markets and they are in the space it's a different ball game mm-hmm. right i know there's a lot of like sort of theories around black rock and luna and all the other stuff like mm-hmm. who knows what really happened yeah, right yeah. but overall DeFi is like one big Ponzi scheme at the moment, right? So, you know, uh, and what frustrates me is um, a lot of like, I'm a f- crypto bull, right? I am 100% crypto bull, right? Yeah. I love the technology and, and, and I believe in it. However, the, the cognitive dissonance of certain investors frustrates me because crypto maxis will say, escape traditional finance into over here into DeFi and DeFi a lot of these projects are bigger Ponzi than TradFi so it's like you know what are you escaping you know and 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 now we're seeing a lot of these platforms become exposed at the end of the day if you've got your money in a platform and they limit your withdrawals right that's capital controls Mm -hmm. right and people moan about capital controls right people and they're preventing a bank run and Mm -hmm. but you know it They've just created an amplified version of the fractional reserve banking system, some of these DeFi ponds, yeah, right? Yeah. But I want to go off on a tangent to set yeah, on no. DeFi. <laughs> now, going back to cycles, right? So we've previously never tested a previous cycle at the uh, top, sorry. And we have done. We, so, we, yes, yeah, so we've breached the previous cycle top. Uh, we didn't have a blow-off top that everyone was expecting. Uh, RSI is the most oversold has ever been in history, this mm-hmm. cycle. Um, we're sitting underneath the 200-week moving average. Um, every previous cycle has signaled the bottom, but now the same people that sig- said the signals are bottom or did say a signal the bottom are the same people calling for 10 to 13k Bitcoin mm-hmm. or lower. So I don't understand how that works. Mm-hmm. And what I find is the people that are calling for like 3, 6k, 10k Bitcoin now who were like dead set on it were the ones that were calling for 250k Bitcoin about six months ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> It's underperformed massively. If you actually look at the logarithmic brokers, this cycle's massively underperformed the previous cycles as well, which I understand in extended cycles, etc. But it has massively underperformed. Um, The MVRV Z score was meant to indicate a bottom as well. Um, You know, we've uh, which relative to Bitcoin's fair value, and also we set technically an all-time high in the bear market. Now, yeah, so. At the Bitcoin conference, I was listening to this on-chain expert, and I never thought of this, right? He's like, we set an all-time high in the bear market, and he started to explain it. But based on on-chain data, the 69,000 Bitcoin top was set in a bear market. So the same people that are like, well, bear markets only last this long. They pull the bars across on trading, and they're like, there's how many days till the next yeah, ball run, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if we set an all-time high, if our cycle top was 64K, then we've already should be back in the bull market, right? Based on the last cycle, I think it's like 420 days. We're now like 440 something, right? 
if the cycle top was November, which is set in a bear market, which if that was the cycle top and technically it wasn't a bear market, then can't really be a cycle top, right? It's a strange one, never happened before. Then we're like 250 days or something into this bear market. So long-winded question, but do you think the typical Bitcoin cycle that everyone follows still intact first? Yes, see, I answered this almost just before. Yes and no, I don't know almost. I almost feel like, this, this is what I was saying before, like, when, it, when, it, when, when something becomes so obvious, and, 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 it's, and it's an it's like, everyone over Twitter, when this, when this cycle was going on, everyone over Twitter was posting these sites, you know, like how TCC had put together, they were kind of one of the first um, guys that I saw putting t together that, the kind of whole cycle um, and breaking it down. Um, but eventually it was everyone that was talking about it, and it just becomes too obvious. And when it becomes too obvious, the market almost has this sixth sense and it knows. So I feel like it, I feel like the cycle's broken. I don't think I don't feel like going forward we're going to get the typical like you said the blow off tops and it's not going to go below the previous all time high. It's already broken now anyway. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like it's like I said it's going to revolve more around this supply demand aspect. What what a longer term holders doing with their Bitcoin? Where's the demand coming from? Are institutions getting involved or not? Um, and obviously the macro environment as well, considering if inflation does linger around for longer than expected, then yeah, it's going to have more of an impact over the coming years. And is, is Bitcoin going to be an inflation hedge? Well, it hasn't really been over the last six months, to tell you that much. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't believe this. I think the cycle is broken now, 100%. So my next question would be, is the best way to navigate, like, cause I don't look at like Bitcoin and crypto, in my opinion, it's just two different things, right? Crypto to mm -hmm. me, it's the same, but my point is, I think they should be looked at slightly differently. Um, I don't think you can compare Bitcoin with Ethereum. You can't compare Bitcoin with Solana. I just don't, there's no comparison, right? And I look at it now and you think, what, what really cracks me up is in a bull market, everyone wants to capitalize on opportunity, right? Which I don't mm. blame them. Um, and the greed sets in, right? And people get obsessed with unrealized gains. You know, they, they consistently refreshing their their blockfolio and you know and they get obsessed with it standard right? bull market behavior exactly <laughs> and then they start going further out the risk curve and looking at different things right mm -hmm. and then in a peak bull market no one wants bitcoin none of the yeah. new crypto investors are like oh, what's the point i can get a thousand x over there on some stupid food coin or you know, whatever there right? could be a reason as well why bitcoin underperformed this cycle because there was this emergence of so many different you know, layer ones, layer two, DeFi, yeah. all this kind of stuff. That's probably why maybe Bitcoin underperformed because the risk appetite was so high because of this incredible twenty-four months that we lived through. But but yeah, go on, continue. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and I think DeFi summer played a massive, massive part of this cycle. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And then Big even time. into January twenty-one, when we seen year in finance um, launch like Yield Farming, and then all the others come after it. You know, Mate, land. I, had someone, I had someone in January to tell me to was begging me literally to put my money into Anchor. Okay. And I was like, I was like, seems a bit too good to be true, man. Like, it was like, what? So I can just deposit my money in there and just withdraw it whenever I want, and it just it'll just tick over. And he's like, yeah. I was like, mm, well, nah, man. That's the thing. It's like you know, um, a lot of these DeFi protocols, um, if they seem too good to be true, they usually are. Where's and the yield coming from? That's that's the question, right? Exactly. If, if you don't know where the yield's coming from, you are the yield. Yeah, hundred percent. And the thing, the thing I look at it is like, right? Do you want to risk, you know, the actual token itself? For 20% yeah. yield. True, I, yeah, yeah. So it's all good to get in these, like, even like when you see pancake swap and all the, these high yields and stuff, like, yeah, great. If you want to do that, cool, right? But if you risk some sort of 
you know, liquidity issue or token collapse. If you're willing to risk that, then that's fine for yield, right? But when things like the market, you know, the market will always dictate what happens, right? It, it, it'll just tell you, it'll punch you in the face more than once. Now, when stuff like this happens, like where we're at today, you know, all of a sudden everyone wants to be just, just in Bitcoin. If you said to most people... Yeah, generally the case in markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, like, oh, you know, if you could just pick something to be in now or you could move your portfolio, same value into one token, it's like Bitcoin, but yeah. no one wants this. So I understand people, the risk appetite, like you said, gets, gets huge, but I also think that people approach... Like, and I'll say with crypto, right? So crypto, if you don't know your risk appetite or your time horizon, you'll learn quite quickly in crypto because it'll tell you, it'll dictate the pace of that for you. Mm. If you if you think you understand your risk appetite until you've gone through a downturn or some sort of correction in crypto, you don't really know your full risk appetite um, until you're exposed to the market, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same as time horizon. People yeah. come into the market, their time horizons, I'm going to get in and out this cycle, make loads of money and invest in property or buy a Lambo or whatever. And all of a sudden, the same people who were meant to be in it for four or six months are now happy to wait four years. And, that, and you know, it's, it plays with you emotionally, right? So over to, onto the DeFi stuff. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts currently on DeFi and what I mentioned about the, the sort of Ponzi-ish uh, bits of DeFi at the moment? And Luna and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah, everything at the moment. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, even during the bull market, I never really dabbled into DeFi. I never put my money and locked it up into a DeFi protocol. It just wasn't for me. And I looked into it, I read about it. I just didn't understand it properly. Like, well, when, it, when, it, when it came to all the yield and all that kind of stuff. So I never really dabbled my money into it. But it is, it's insane what's happened, obviously, with the Luna stuff and then the three hours of capital and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, I think it's just a knock-on effect of the liquidity purge that's happened in markets. I'm not saying that oh, it was always going to happen, I could have forecasted it last year or anything, but generally when liquidity gets pulled out of the market and you're talking about the most illiquid market in the world in crypto, these things are going to blow up. It's, it's guaranteed to happen. And, and the more kind of, like you said, the more things on the on the further end of the risk curve, like Luna, like these DeFi protocols, they're going to get hammered. So it is what it is. It's, it's just a part of global liquidity declining. That's all it is. And of course, we want to see stuff evolve and this space moves very quickly. But, you know, even like the layer ones, right, you're looking at, um, they talk about the trilemma and, and all the issues there. But when you look at like ETH, you know, March was meant to upgrade to the beacon chain, still struggling, very struggling to scale. Solana, struggling to scale, having all sorts of issues. So even like the top layer ones aren't ready. Like they, 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 they scale too quick and you've got all these things built on them. And then, you know, if you look at Luna, like there was some protocols that were built on luna mm. was like oh we're still good yeah like, uh, <laughs> and you know so that that i think that's a big issue but we're also seeing now um mr crypto goldman sachs um sam bankman fried you Oof. know you know he's like i think that m a and crypto is going to go crazy and i think that he's he's already bailing people out looking to he's acquire different, and yeah like he's he's just sat there with a with a ton of money and he's Laughing. ready to go now i think obviously trust is probably number one when it comes to any of these projects right the trust as soon as the trust's gone the project's gone right mm. no matter how good it is mm. now i think what's your thoughts on celsius right because celsius now bought their liquidation price i think i don't know it was like uh, last time i seen it was 4k they bring it down every day it might be like two oh, really? now or something so yeah i think their liquidation price is sub 4k now i think actually last night harks told me it was like two on one of our sessions but whatever it's under 4k now Who's bailed them out? Is it Sam that's bailed them out? I don't actually. I think so. I'm not. I'm not yeah. actually sure. So, 
looking at the Celsius now, trust went like instantly when all, all that happened, right? Do you feel them now sort of, you know, bringing that down to, to 4K? I don't think they've allowed people to withdraw yet, but when that happens, are they risking everyone just taking everything? Or do you feel that that trust now can be basically bought yeah. again? I don't think so. I don't think the trust, like you said, when once, once trust's gone, trust's gone. But I feel like almost with these kind of larger market participants like, like the Celsius and like these other, all these other people, I feel like almost the market fishes to liquidate them almost. Mm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's very risky. It's just more risk that's overhanging on the market with these with these bigger players in the market like this. So, yeah, man, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I almost yeah, like I said, the market almost when it comes to these bigger participants, it, it will look to fish them out of the market. So if they load, they'll lower their liquidation down to like eight or nine k, the market will probably go and take that out before it continues higher. So it's it's a major major risk to all these kind of protocols, all these Celsius and all this kind of stuff in the market still, and that's still the risk of Bitcoin going under ten k. Yeah, you know, if anyone's still got their 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 money on exchanges, for me, it's centralized. Again, it's, it's 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 the bear market narrative, isn't it? Not your keys, not your crypto, yeah. but in the bull market, nobody talks about. Yeah, no one cares. That. Nobody talks about that. Well, obviously, with everything that's going on, even yeah. more so now, it's like look, you know, you take full custody because. Yeah. We don't know who's safe and who isn't. To be fair, the way I look at it, FTX are clearly liquid. And even all the uncertainty around Binance, when they came out, it was like a week ago or two weeks ago, and, and Ronaldo became... Oh, yeah, face. yeah. And that TikTok guy as well. Yeah, I felt like that was like a bit of like a dig to say, like, we're good over here. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. Ronaldo's team are going to do a lot of due diligence on who mm -hmm. what he gets involved in. So, but, you know, who knows? You know, we've seen Crypto.com chuck a ton hundreds of millions in advertising so we don't know who is safe and who isn't there's a lot of talk around coinbase and i did see that coinbase ventures as well that were quite heavily invested in luna so you oh, know really? which made me realize like not, not that many people thought that was going to happen because you know why would someone like coinbase ventures be invested so that that's another thing the next thing i want to quickly talk about was nfts um now for me you know these have never experienced a bear market before mm -hmm. right um it'd be interesting to see if their if their communities actually hold up in a bear market mm -hmm. and another thing is we've seen a lot of you know platforms that have a decent reputation mm -hmm. have issues right so my thoughts are what if OpenSea has issues and goes offline right where's the jpeg right because there's a lot of talk are these even on the blockchain? A lot of these JPEGs, even like mm -hmm. the board apes, I've seen a lot of people be like, "Are these actually on the blockchain?" There's a lot of like hacks and stuff going on as well. Hacks, yeah. Yes, yeah, so like fake minting yeah, hacks yeah. on OpenSea. Like, I'm not really into NFTs. I'm not personally. even. I was going like, to say, yeah. wrong, but get Amish here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, to me, I, I'm more like waiting for their real world utility. I think yeah, yeah, like yeah. concert tickets. I'll, yeah. I think you know that's all going to come. NFT mortgages and whatever. But mm -hmm. like, yeah, what's your thoughts on like how NFTs are going to cope through this bear market? Because you know, <laughs> to be honest, I, I, like obviously Amish is the, is the expert when it comes to NFTs. Um, and I follow him on Twitter, of course, and I feel like they are going through like a mini bull run almost at the moment, NFT, mm. or they're setting up for one anyway, according to what some people are saying. Mm. Um, it is very different, to be honest with you, because because they're so illiquid, NFTs, you can't, if you wanted to sell them right now, you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. sell them, right? So yeah. that's kind of one side of the thing. And the other side of the thing is, I feel like people are more religious to NFTs than they are to like crypto coins, like Bitcoin and ETH. I feel like they're more religious to those, those communities and those projects, because... The minute you change your profile picture to a bored ape or a punk, 
you'll have like a hundred people from that community following you and you'll automatically have like a hundred new friends. Yeah. So it's much it's much more different than being a Bitcoin maxi or a or an ETH maxi, you know? Um yeah, I, I don't know how the, the NFT market moves in that sense, in all honesty. Um, it'll have its little little mini bull and bear runs. Um, I think recently at NFT NYC, there was a project called Doodles. I don't know if you heard of Doodles. No. Um, they made a lot of noise. Uh, one of my friends who's... I don't know if you've heard of a project called Third Web. They basically, so. like... Because, like, NFT platforms and marketplaces need a lot of code to build, they've basically created a, an application which allows you to, to, to build NFT products without the code. Um, super, super successful at the moment. Um, but, essentially, he, he was, like, one of my friends who was part of that company. He was a Doodles holder. And they're making big moves at the moment. Uh, they've just hired Pharrell as their creative, mm. uh, creative director. Um, so, if anything, NFT projects seem like they're doing what people should be doing in a bear market, which is building. Yeah. Um, let's see what happens when the next bull run gets catalyzed. But at the moment, I feel like NFT is just going to be like this. Yeah, they're just going to be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, in in the current you know climate, if you paid a couple of million for a picture of a JPEG, you got to find someone else. In my opinion, I think one of Logan Paul's mates uh, spent like eight hundred k on a board ape right at the top. <laughs> you know, you, you got to find someone else who's who willing to yeah, willing to pay that amount. Just, You're not gonna. You know, it's, yeah. So another thing that I think. You know, Vitalik's been talking about recently is the SBTs, the soulbound tokens. I'm not sure if you hear of them. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. So like, yeah, they're untradeable yeah. and, and they're going to be mainly for like accreditations and employment history. And so you don't trade them. Um, and he's talking like they're going to be more towards proof of character rather than like proof of wealth. Like NFTs, if you've got like a board ape, it's like, oh, yeah, you've got a board ape or yeah, you've got a crypto yeah. punk. Where... So yeah, so it's interesting to see the development. And that's why I do like in, in like beer markets is you start to see which companies are serious about actually active development and like growing um you know the the utility of their protocol because mm -hmm. you know the ones that are just like we can just make any old thing and you know promote it with some silly yield and everyone's just going to dive in where i think that it's, it's not that's where it's good to see and plus recessions and beer markets are great for hiring because you can hire some of the best people because people start cutting, like you see now, like even oh, Tesla yeah, and it, Amazon, yeah. a lot of layoffs happening right now. Yeah, yeah, so, but yeah. Now, last thing that I'd like to ask is, um, big question, right? And you, I know you're a macro guy, and I love macro myself, but does macro even matter anymore, right? And the reason why I ask that is because we've got economic deceleration, declining PMI, we don't know where real inflation's at, the Fed's not really in a great place, like we said, but they've got all the data. We can't predict the outcome of this. And we've seen a lot of the sort of the macro sort of experts in the space that people look up to be wrong many times in this. And it's because a lot of it hasn't happened before. Mm. Um, we've still got like, the heavyweights there that make sense of all they're saying. But are we in a situation like currently, like does macro matter? Of course it does. <laughs> I think it does. Um... I think it does, but yeah, I was I asking you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man. I think yeah. it. I think it's front and center, man. Like everything that's happening right now, any kind of every week, it seems like almost every week there's some sort of data set coming out, which is which everyone's like fearful of. Like this week we've got inflation. Yeah. This week we've got inflation. We've got. You, is that you, this week? Is it twenty CPI? Yeah, I think it's. I believe it's this week. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's just soon anyway. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got CPI this week. We've got U.S. retail sales this week. We've got consumer confidence on Friday. We've got the banker. We've got Governor Bailey from Bank of England speaking today and yeah. tomorrow. It's everywhere, man. Macro is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Versus 2021 and 2020, there was nowhere to be seen. Nobody cared. Everyone was just piling their money into risk yeah. assets because it was just going up. Everyone knew number was going up. 
nobody cared but now it matters and you you need an under- i said it in march you need an understanding of this stuff man otherwise you're not going to survive the next 12 months arguably even longer if they don't get inflation under control yeah. so it matters man and you, you need to understand this stuff i agree and i think that anyone that hasn't signed up to macro iq is crazy oh you're like, too kind mate <laughs> no honestly like i even like uh, currency wars or something again mate like Oh, yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah, James Sohoda interviewed me in 2020 and was looking at all the geopolitical tensions and it was when China was first talking about CBDCs, the, the, the Bank of England, January 2020, Rishi first mentioned about central bank digital currency yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, and then when Zoom and stuff happens, like, you know, people are doing business deals in different countries in the world. You know who gets the tax if something is done. You know, there's a lot of things that was happening. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this could, that, that was one of the things that I... I me and James was talking about. He's asking me about it, and then when you pu- published that the other day, I was like, "This is so important right now to understand geopolitics." That and last bit, especially around China, Russia, and their whole relationship, is very interesting. You know, very interesting, and especially with the dollar right now, because it's because the dollar is like absolutely soaring every single day. But you've got this kind of side narrative going on where like all these non-Western countries are trying to make the shift away from the dollar. Yeah. And it's just fascinating, man. Yeah, and this, I th- I, this, is, this is completely for a different podcast. We could go podcast, on for half right? an hour on this one, man. But there's honestly. a thing called Belt Road Initiative, right? Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. And China, one. they've been working on this since 2013, right? So it's like um, a, it's like railroads, fiber optic cables, um, shipping routes, and it's all around sort of um, Asia, Africa, Europe. And they've already like, they've got 60 countries agreed already um, signed up to the agreement, like they they got Kazakhstan, ma- major trade sort of um, route in Kazakhstan, all down to Sri Lanka. But have you read the book Economic Hitman? I have not. So it basically it shows you all America have done to a lot of the world, right? But they've kind of gone down the same route. So they give Sri Lanka a one point five billion dollar loan to be build this sort of deep water port, which is a key part of I think it was the Maritime Silk Road, part of the the Belt Road Road Initiative, and um, because they couldn't afford to pay it back, they've now got control of a 99-year lease at the port. And they've and now these 60 countries that they've signed up, a lot of these they've loaned money to, right. and they're going to end up not being able to pay it back, and then they're going to control the entire thing, so they've earned the monopoly. Well, look at Sri Lanka now. Oh, yeah, that, that, exactly. So and, and this is the thing. So when you start looking at China being a superpower, they've done it. They've taken that gently gets the Bentley route. They've taken it slow. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, they've taken it so slow, right? And... And now it's coming to the forefront where it's like... Time to accelerate they, a bit more. They have made some real good decisions over a long period of time. Very good and, you know, taking control... they already got more trade partners than anyone in the world. If you look at the 80s, where America was control of global trade, today China is, and China's got more trade partners than anyone in the world, right? And when you think of how they've done that over quite a short space of time, the next 20 years are going to be super interesting. But honestly, like, keep putting those articles out, mate, because they're really good reads... I know other people's complimenting you on being a good writer. Don't stop because they're awesome, <laughs> honestly. Like, yeah, really. You were talking about the BIS before adding, allowing central banks to add 1% uh, yeah. Bitcoin to their balance sheet. But they also, BIS have also created like a renminbi liquidity pool as well. I don't know if you saw that. Article. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah. So they've started, yeah, BIS, <laughs> they've, they've created a renminbi liquidity pool wow. now. Uh, so generally they tend to serve the dollar and create dollar yeah. liquidity pools around the world. Now they're starting to create RMB liquidity pools, mainly for like, the Asia, re- Asia region. But still, the significance of that and the timing of that right now, 
Yeah, well, look, I'm going to be staying updated to Macro IQ anyway, and I'm sure you're going to be on here very, very soon again anyway. But appreciate it, mate. I appreciate you coming down here today. No Always good catching up with you. Good to see and you for the first time, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The first time in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we'll be doing more of these anyway. Appreciate so. it, bro. Thank you for Cheers. having me on. Awesome.